Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? Welcome into the Wednesday, February the 20th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins make another hire with yet another connection to the New England Patriots. But some other familiarities were brought to my attention today that were very, very interesting. We'll get into that. I'll tell you the most important quarterback traits when it comes to scouting and the state of the roster series lands on the cornerback position today. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. By now, you guys know that's how the show grows, and we'll talk about it later, but I need that growth in the show to keep on doing it. So thank you all so much. Follow me on Twitter, at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins and check out LockedOnDolphins.com, the number one site for all your Dolphins daily needs. And the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And I could lie to you guys and say this is a busier show than normal, but all these shows are busy. So let's not waste any time and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. The only news we have for the day for Tuesday as the Wednesday edition is recorded on a Tuesday, is that the Dolphins hired Mike Judge as a defensive quality control coach. (laughs) No, not that Mike Judge. The Mike Judge that was a part of the Naval Academy staff previously, and prior to that with the New England Patriots in 2005 and 2006, the Dolphins also hired Brendan Farrell, As an assistant special teams coach, he was on the staff at Alabama and Northwestern State prior to that. So no Patriots connections for Farrell. But how about a couple of interesting ties to the Patriots with the Dolphins' current roster? We all recall the reports that the Patriots intended to select Mike Kosicki last year after the Dolphins took him in the second round with the pick right after Miami's pick that was Mike Kosicki out of Penn State. And that has to bode well for Gasecki's future as far as getting a great opportunity in Miami, right? I mean, am I alone in thinking that? They're going to at least give him the chance to prove his worth. And I think his rookie year will be completely undone as far as reputation coming in to year number two. But you guys have also heard Kevin Dern or read Kevin Dern on LockedOnDolphins.com reference a member from the Fins.com, my first place I ever talked about Dolphins football in an online forum as a message board. His handle is Disgustipate on there, a weird one. But I also know him on a more personal level. His name is John. I asked him to write for the Locked On Dolphins, but he said he didn't have enough time at the time, which is a shame because he's a great football mind. But nonetheless, he shared a couple of tweets today that were very interesting. And the first one comes from Kevin Duffy. Don't know who he is, but it was from March 2017 regarding a Patriots pre-draft meeting with none other than Chuck Harris. Harris was rumored to be a target with the 32nd pick in the draft that year for the Patriots. And then another tweet from Tino Bovenzi, again, no idea who that is, but he was covering Raekwon McMillan's pro day back in March of 2017. And Raekwon mentioned meetings with the Steelers and the Patriots. So again, another connection there. And the last one, this one from Aaron Wilson, same story, who that? I don't know, but he listed Devon Godshaw's meat list in April of 2017 on it, the Vikings, Eagles, Packers, 
and the Patriots. That tells me that the Pats liked McMillan to maybe potentially fill the role or the void, rather, of Donta Hightower, who was going to be a free agent that year heading into 2017, but wound up signing back with the New England Patriots. But they probably viewed McMillan in that same vein, and that's exactly where Kevin Dern and yours truly believe that he will really, really excel in 2019 as that true Mike linebacker in this scheme. Devon Godshaw, that tells me they had a spot for him, and I think that's got to be on the inside with his tremendous base, power, and pad level. I'm talking inside as in the nose tackle, up front, over the center, kind of controlling the point of attack because that's what Devon Godshaw does best against the run. As for Chucky Harris, and by the way, that's what I'm calling him from here on out. He can be Charles Harris once he gets a few sacks. But Chuck, the Pats don't draft guys without a very distinct plan for them. And really, most organizations operate that way and should operate that way. And that's a problem that Adam Gase had. As much as he bragged about his plans for guys or whatever it was, the press conferences and that false bravado, he rarely committed to that plan. As we all know, Mike Isicki playing 20% of his reps in pass protection, the one thing he can't do. And we all know that teaching was also an issue on this staff. So maybe, just maybe, there's a plan for old Chuck. Maybe this isn't the end of the line for Charles Harris in Miami. I'm not optimistic per se, but we'll see. And then to borrow some more content here from thefins.com and a great message board if you guys are into that type of thing. Twitter has kind of taken over that realm as far as football discussion goes. And the section of the website that is good is the part that you have to pay for. But I've been paying for it for like 15 years now. So I'm just already accepted that fact. It's a great community of guys. That's actually where CK Parrott, Chris Coffin, you guys know him. That's where he kind of derived from as well. So a bunch of good members on thefins.com. This one from a guy named Keith Jackson. That's his handle. I don't know his real name, but he talked about a collection of players that could be guys that could be cut this offseason that the Dolphins could look to sign because when you approach it that way, those guys don't count against your overall compensatory draft picks that come back your way when you lose Pacific free agents. Like for instance, if the Dolphins were to lose Xavier Howard in a couple of years, they would get a third round comp pick for the type of contract that he got because the higher the contract, the better the comp pick. So he listed some players that he thinks could be cut on this list here and some very interesting names come up, particularly in the defensive backfield. He has Devin McCourty up there at age 31, which that's kind of the time the Patriots decided to cut bait on a lot of their older veterans that maybe they don't want to pay anymore. Maybe they think they can replace them with a younger guy. And Devin McCourty, for as much as I talked about Minka Fitzpatrick being the linchpin of this defense, playing in that McCourty role, he would be a guy that I would be all over in a heartbeat. Now, he also listed Dante Hightower on here, age 28, who again would fill a fantastic role in this defense. As many of these Patriots guys that have familiarity in this scheme, I would be all about signing those players because... And there are a lot of free agents on that list. You guys have seen the State of the Roster series, whether it was John Simon, Malcolm Brown, or the number of Patriots I have listed throughout the course of this series. If you can get guys with the familiarity in the scheme, but can also still play, that's the biggest part about it. Like Danny Amendola, I don't think he's all that good of a player anymore, and that's why I want to cut him. But his familiarity would be great, but you have to be able to play along with that. I think Dante Hightower can still play. I think Devin McCourty can still play. And there's a list of other guys on here as well that you could be interested in. Just to name a few, DJ Humphreys on the offensive line. Possibly Dwayne Allen at tight end because he has the connection there to the Patriots. Also, at defensive tackle, maybe Gerald McCoy. I, I don't think they'll go that big on that position. He's also 30 years old. Olivier Vernon coming back to Miami might make some sense. And I think he'll get cut from the Giants as they paid way too much money for him. And frankly, he was never going to live up to that contract. 
and he would actually be a great scheme fit in this new defense for the Dolphins. Adrian Claiborne of the Patriots, he's going to be 30 years old, another option there. So just a few names to think about, and I assume the Dolphins might be more active in that area because in the past, they've really done... They've made efforts to protect their compensatory picks in that way. So we could see him approach it that way and kind of sit out free agency and just scour this list of players that get cut from other teams. Okay, we're going to step away here for a minute and pay some bills. But when you come back, we've got the State of the Roster Series Part 9, taking a look at Miami's cornerback room. We'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked On Fins. We are on part number nine of the State of the Roster series up on LockedOnDolphins.com, all part of the Locked On Podcast Network. If you guys want to read these pieces and take a look at some of the free agent targets, draft targets, whatever it might be, new acquisitions, current free agents on the Dolphins roster for every single position group, you can check it out on LockedOnDolphins.com. And I think sometime next week, I'm not quite sure when I'm going to do it, but I'll do a comprehensive off-season preview, trying to plug some of these pieces using those off-season simulators that are out there for us and do it kind of in a Franken-built type of way where I marry the free agency part with the draft part and make a Dolphins roster out of that. Last year, I did it, and I was very, very successful nailing down guys like Josh Sitton, Minka Fitzpatrick. Who else did I get on that list? I had the tight end in the second round. I thought Mike Kosicki, Dallas Goddard were options there. I ended up with Kalen Balaj on that list. I had Ryan Tannehill as the quarterback throughout the entire process of the spring and summer and then up to the fall. And while I was very successful and accurate last season, this year I don't think I'll be as good because it's kind of new and there's a lot of variety involved here. Whereas last year with Adam Gase, he was pretty predictable in that way. And so was Mike Tannenbaum. So last year was easier. But that doesn't mean I'm off the hook. I'm going to try my best to get you an accurate off-season prediction for roster changes and all that fun stuff. And we start here today on part number 9 of 10. Number 10 will be tomorrow with the safeties. But we're talking about the cornerbacks today and splitting up the defensive backs into a two-parter because these position groups can get a little bit long if we don't do that. So the Dolphins currently owe their cornerbacks 12 million bucks. The NFL average is 16 million, which is going to go way up for the Dolphins here as soon as they offer Xavier Howard a new contract. And that's who we start with. Last year, Howard made $1.3 million. I think... I really think he's going to get a contract extension with the Dolphins this offseason. And he tied the league lead in interceptions last year with seven. He continued that breakthrough performance from 2017. I mean, he is simply one of the best cornerbacks in the game. Excels in man coverage. And we know the Patriots ran more man defense last year than anybody else in football. He has that physical style of press play, something Miami like, or New England rather, likes to do. And now Miami off the boundary side of the formation. And he tracks the ball exceptionally well through the air. He's sound technically. He tackles. This Patriot staff is going to love him. I, I keep calling him Patriot staff. This new Dolphin staff formerly of the Patriots. They are going to love him. I think they'll extend him, especially after that performance in the Super Bowl by Stephon Gilmore, who was really the guy, the catalyst that made that Patriots defense what it was on that day, as well as in the AFC Championship game. So Xavier Howard, he comes back as the number one lockdown corner. Number two, Bobby McCain, 5.6 million bucks this year. That's a lot of money for McCain because we thought maybe we could get him on a cheap deal if you kick him to the outside and play him on the perimeter. 
but that experiment did not go well. You put that with his lack of long speed, with the injuries he had through the year. He fought through those injuries and good on him for doing that. He's a big time team leader for this Miami Dolphins football team, but he's a slot guy. And so paying a slot guy that that much money, you better be one of the top five slots in the NFL, which he was in 2017, 2018, not the case, but you hope he can rebound and get back into his better playing ways because I think he's more mentally apt than a lot of the guys that play this position. And I think the Patriots coaching staff coming over here to Miami, Brian Flores and Josh Boyer and company, I think he'll be able to rebound back to that level because he's a smart, smart cornerback. And he still made one of the best interceptions of the entire season last year on that pick against Brady in the week four game in New England where he read it, peeled off of his man, came upfield and made that catch for a great, great play. So McCain, I think he gets back to his ways in 2017 as the Dolphins strictly, purely starting slot cornerback. And then you go forward here, and the rest of this group is not pretty. We stop here on Cordray at Tankersley, $673,000 this year, and it's tough to imagine a more difficult sophomore season for Tankersley. He was benched. He was ran ragged in the preseason, looked out of position and confused at times, ultimately winds up tearing an ACL midseason, and it was a steep, steep drop-off from an impressive rookie season where he played well, both in the hybrid man zone coverage, but I think that zone coverage that had so many Dolphins defensive backs all year long for the last two years looking around saying, like, what... Did you have him? Did I have him? What's going on there? The communication issues. And I don't think that impacted anybody like it did Cordrea Tankersley, who's more physically impressive than he is mentally impressive. So coming back off that ACL, probably going to start the year on PUP. He'll be a depth guy, but I think there's hope for Tankersley yet. And then next, a guy that I really, really like. I liked him when they signed him as an undrafted free agent. He was an All-American at Utah State. Talking, of course, about Jalen Davis, $570,000 for the year this year. I think he's going to be the biggest sleeper on the roster. He has big-time potential. He's fiery. He wants to get his nose in there and make plays. He forced a fumble and a third-down incompletion in the end zone against the Jaguars in that one game where he started getting more and more reps. He's aggressive. I think he's the by far the best option behind McCain as a backup slot, and that's where he'll be on the roster, also contributing on special teams. And then you have Cornell Armstrong, who also is very damn good on special teams. He's due to be paid $570,000 this year. I think he's going to be depth. They're going to try to develop him a little bit more, but he has that prototype as far as the tall, lengthy corner that can play press, play man, all that fun stuff. And like I said, a terrific special teamer in his own right. Then we have Tory McTire, $645,000 due to him. And he had a bad year by all intents and purposes, the, the measurables, the Film wasn't good, but there were some games where he got beat, like the Bears game, for instance, by just perfect throws where he was in good position. Maybe another year in the system, another year of better coaching, he can get up to snuff, but I think going into the year, he has to be thought of as depth only and not a starter in this defense. And the last guy on the roster is the newest one, Jamal Wiltz. There's no announcement on his money owed yet, but I think he's just going to be a, a minimum player, a camp invite. Drafted by the Eagles in 2017, finds himself on the Patriots practice squad under current Dolphins cornerbacks coach Josh Boyer. He's just 5'10", 185, or 180 pounds, so he is the outlier as far as the prototype, but he has a chance to get back on the practice squad this year. I think that's where he ultimately ends up. Now, as far as the Dolphins' own free agents, there aren't any, so we'll move on from that. They don't have any cornerback free agents to deal with this summer, just Xavier Howard, and we see we will see how that goes. But as far as the class, Morris Claiborne, Pierre Desir, Bradley Roby, 
I don't think either of those three guys will happen, so probably can go ahead and cross them off their list. And I do have this theme throughout the course of the series, and some folks don't like it. That's okay. But there's two themes of this entire theme. And number one is filling that Foxborough to Miami pipeline. And number two, reclamation projects. Guys that maybe have had some injury histories or some things have gone wrong that have devalued their value on the open market and the Dolphins could possibly buy low with a high reward, much in the way they did with Brent Grimes back in 2013. And Jason Verrett was a first round draft pick of the San Diego Chargers, now the LA Chargers. And he was he was a fantastic player the one year that he was healthy most of the season, but he did end last season with an injury in training camp, I believe. He's been hurt for three out of the four years he's played. He would probably come at a low cost because of that, but if you get him healthy, he can be a top corner in the league. I would look at him for the medical and see if he wants to take a one-year prove-it type of deal. Another guy for the first bullet point, the filling the Foxborough to Miami pipeline, Eric Rowe. He's a free agent, but he's also been banged up a lot too, so he really fits both of those. But he is 6'1", 205 pounds, and Verrett is 5'10", 188. So differences there in size, but the same idea. I've also seen the Dolphins linked to Ronald Darby in recent years. He is a free agent from Philadelphia. He also has a poor medical history. So again, all these guys, injuries are a, a, a part of the factor, a part of the equation. So we'll see what the Dolphins do here with the number two cornerback position because it's a big need right now. And I don't think they're going to be able to fill it in free agency, which brings us to the draft. And there's a player that really stands out above everybody else, but he's going to be pick 13 if you want to get him. He is Georgia's DeAndre Baker, the best man cover corner in the draft. You go with him and Xavier Howard, you're going to have all kinds of fun with Minka Fitzpatrick and your other safeties on this defense as they can do tons of work and tons of damage moving around, not having to worry about the top half of the defense. Byron Murphy out of Washington is also in this range, but I think he's too thin and doesn't want to tackle enough for this defense. Again, Patriots defenders always tackle. So you're going to have to tackle if you want to play in Miami. And then Greedy Williams, he's also there as well. He's a great option. Later round options, Penn State's Amani Awarie. I talked about him in the senior bowl. He has that physical build the Dolphins like. Ultra competitive, can play both zone and man. And then Temple's Rocky Asin is one of my top five favorite players in this entire draft. If you guys don't know about Temple's program, they give the single digit numbers to the number to the most competitive tough kids on the team. And that's voted by the teammates. This was Rocky Asin's first year at Temple and he earned that honor in his only year as a grad transfer at Temple. He's an alpha and he had those matchups at the Senior Bowl with Debo Samuel that were just top shelf TV for football fans. I love that kid. Would love him in the second round. I also threw in local product Michael Jackson from the U. Again, a great man coverage guy. He's a scheme fit there. What do I think the Dolphins will ultimately do? I think that first pick could be a cornerback. I really think it could be. I think they extend Xavier Howard. Think about that first round. If not, go second or third round with Rocky Sin or Michael Jackson as the number two cornerback. Maybe even DeAndre Baker there. And then you have the slot, Bobby McCain, the backup slot, Jalen Davis, and then depth is Cornell Armstrong, Torrey McTire, maybe a free agent there, and Eric Rowe. And then more depth is Cordrea Tankersley, who sits on the bench for the first six weeks on PUP. So those are the cornerbacks. We have just one more state of the roster series to get to. We'll do the safeties on tomorrow's podcast. And next here in this third and final segment, we're going to talk about quarterback traits and I'm going to get a little bit personal on you guys. We'll do that next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingful NFL at Locked On Fins. All 
All right, the sun is still shining here late on a Tuesday evening on the West Coast. You guys are probably hearing this podcast Wednesday morning or Wednesday afternoon. Just depends on when you download the podcast. And thank you all so much for doing that. We're going to get more into that here in just a second. But first, somebody asked me on Twitter a great question about what do I look for in evaluating quarterbacks? And really, I think everyone probably says that quarterbacks are their best position to evaluate, even though it really is the hardest one. And I don't know if you if you guys are new to the show. The reason I got into this position was based off of work I did on a website that I built and made and constructed and did everything about it called thirdandten.com. It no longer exists because I didn't have time to do it anymore. I didn't want to pay the hosting site hosting fees, which sucks because it was like three months worth of work. I went through and charted every pass of every quarterback in the NFL and graded their play and wrote up big scouting reports on them. And for the most part, I was pretty accurate on projecting 2017 performance. One of those talking about Derek Carr having a steep decline. I think Joe Flacco was part of that. Marcus Mariota not being that great. Also, who else was out there? Eli Manning was part of that group. I whiffed on Jared Goff, but he's kind of come back to the pack a little bit more at the end of the season. The whole idea is that I've watched a lot of quarterback play, and I kind of know what I'm talking about, at least I think. So someone asked me about the quarterback traits I look for the most. And number one off the top here, I want to make it a, a note to say that I'm not really talking about processing speed or things that you can't really tell based upon watching like a broadcast version of a game. Things that you need all 22 for, like pre-snap reads, post-snap execution of finding the defense and moving the defense and the way they process the coverage. Those things are all number one. You know, the anticipatory throwing, finding out where the coverage is going to be, throwing your guy open. That stuff is all top of the list. But this is more from a physical standpoint. And we start with the accuracy, which really is a general blanket statement. If someone tells you accuracy is the number one trait, they're right. But ask them to explain how to find out if a guy's accurate because you can't just look at a percentage in a box score or look at a few throws on tape. You need to see the mechanics of things because it all starts from the ground up and how well do his feet work in relationship to the hips, to the shoulders, and to the release and follow through. All that stuff has to be aligned for most guys. We'll talk about that here in a second. But the way they can dance their feet around the pocket and they move with a purpose, getting up to the pocket, getting out to the pocket to the side, going backwards if they have to, not just moving to move, but moving to keep themselves in a position where they are a threat, whether it's with the run or the arm, just being hardwired between the eyes and the feet. Baker Mayfield is a great example of that, the way he flips his hips and uses his hips to move the defense while keeping his eyes in line with his target. He's a brilliant player when it comes to that aspect. So number one, the accuracy and the mechanics from the ground up. Number two, escapability. I don't think I put this on there, but escapability is huge to me. In today's NFL, with the way defenses can run now, the way defensive ends are rocked up running 4-5-40s, you got to be able to move, you got to be able to run. And I think scrambling is a big part of the future of the game. It's number two for me. Number three, the recognition and execution of different pitches in your arsenal. And what I mean by that is the fastball versus the changeup, the drive throw down the field, down the seam, or to the far hash, far side of the field from the far hash, compared to a touch pass, like a lob into the end zone or a screen throw. Go back and watch Ryan Tannehill throw a screen or a swing pass. He never knew how to do it. It just was foreign to him. It was uncomfortable, not a motion he was familiar with. The ability to know which throw is required and the ability to execute both of those throws when they come up. Number four, the arm talent and the angles of off-platform throws and the ability to throw under pressure. All this stuff kind of comes into one umbrella for me because the only reason you're going to be off-balance or off-target or off-platform 
is if you're being pressured and being able to deal with that, keeping your eyes up the field and getting yourself into a position to find passing lanes. That's number four on the list. And really this could be in any order because they're all very important to me, but just the ability to deal with pressure, compartmentalize it and escape and make a throw and make an accurate throw at that. And the number five, this kind of goes back into the intangibles. It could be in that aspect, I suppose. But you can see this with certain guys in the huddle, for instance. The galvanizing personality. Is he a guy that people want to lead? Can he lift the huddle? Can he lift the offense? Can he lift the entire team? That's something you can see if you watch enough of this stuff, like college players, for instance, you watch a few games, you can see who the guys, the other guys rally around. You hope that it's your quarterback, just like in the way it was with Baker Mayfield. The guy galvanized the Cleveland Browns and made them the team they are now. So those are the five top ones I have. Accuracy, escapability, the different pitches in the tool bag, the arm talent in dealing with pressure, and the galvanizing personality. So those are my quarterback traits. And really, I enjoy doing this stuff. So if you guys want to hear other positions and how I kind of look at them and scout them, let me know on Twitter and we can talk more about them as the offseason goes along heading into the draft. But I want to end this podcast on a personal note because it came up on my timeline as it kind of does. And as I'm sure some of you guys that have seen my timeline or maybe you even engaged in this type of behavior for whatever reason, but once you get a little bit of traction as far as a following goes on Twitter and once you put your creative work out there, you can become a lightning rod for criticism. For instance, my Ryan Tannehill stuff has burned my reputation with people on Twitter, Dolphins fans, whatever it is. Because I missed the Tannehill eval, they are never going to listen to a word I say ever again. And that's fine. That's their prerogative if they want to go that way. And this kind of ties into that because it's easy to point fingers when you don't have a portfolio of your own as far as grading players and putting out evaluations into the universe and being really looked at for that type of thing. So... I mean, I'm not complaining about the criticism. It's part of the job. And the fact that someone rips me means I'm at least recognizable enough to go ahead and rip. But there is a line when it gets personal that really bothers me. And it's the part that I really don't get. And someone made a comment about the way I run the show. I've seen comments about the way I run my Twitter account or just how I am as a person in general. Someone told me there was a reputation about me among, you know, podcasters or whatever about how I interact with people on there or just kind of my general approach to life and maybe how I should do things different. And it's just, this is kind of where this all comes from. And the reason I was, I thought about it today was that I saw this quote about the strong, silent type of man, you know, whatever happened to the man that just deals with his problems internally, sucks it up and goes and does his job. And yeah, that's one way to do it. And if it works for you, great. But some guys do want to talk about themselves and, and kind of be in touch with their feelings because the other way in 2019 it's a bit antiquated, and it's certainly not my style to be that strong, silent type. I like to talk about myself and my feelings. That's just how I am. And I think it's important to also kind of let you guys into my life. It makes me more relatable. It gives me a better connection to the audience and my small yet very, very appreciated fan base. And what you see on Twitter, whether it's me talking about my cat or about Queen or Coheed and Cambria or my very dry sense of humor talking shit to some of you guys when you ask for it, it's all in love. Trust me. That's just me being me. But the whole point of all this is to say I never want to have to apologize for who I am because with me, what you see is what you get. And I hope that's a trait that people can appreciate. So I just want to say thank you for all of the interactions on Twitter and more importantly, all of the support of LockedOnDolphins.com and the podcast here at Locked On Dolphins because if this thing stops growing, we won't last. If you're not growing, you're dying. So your support, you're telling other people about the show, that's the God's honest truth lifeblood 
of this show. So really, sincerely, I love the fuck out of each and every one of you. And I think that is a great spot to end the show today. And if you guys have a smart speaker, you can play a Locked On Dolphins podcast instantly. Just say play Locked On Dolphins podcast and pull that thing up right quickly. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Follow the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on our daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Just understand.